In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. The text for this morning's sermon is the Gospel appointed for this first Sunday in Advent, the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 21st chapter, beginning at verse 1. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he shall send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt and laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Thus far the text. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our Lord enters Jerusalem on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah, Behold, your king is coming to you. This morning's gospel describes events of Palm Sunday, which in a way seems odd because this is the first Sunday of Advent. But there again, not so odd, when we stop to consider what Advent is all about. Advent is about Christ coming to us. It's about how He came to us once in His body and blood as a baby in the arms of the Blessed Virgin. It's about how He comes to us now in His body and blood in Holy Communion. And it then also takes in the fact that He will come again visibly and bodily at the end of the age. So the Advent cry rings out, Behold, your King is coming to you. And it leads us to ask, as we do in the words of one of our hymns, O Lord, how shall I meet Thee? How welcome Thee aright. We can get it wrong. The people of Jerusalem did. They said there, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord, only to turn on Him and cry out for His crucifixion that very same week. How do we welcome our Lord Do we welcome Him with great energy 
when it looks like He's going to make everything in our lives turn out glorious, only to turn our backs on Him, when it looks like He has chosen the path of the suffering servant, and all we're going to get out of the deal in this life is an invitation to walk in the way of suffering too. That's how it was with the people of Jerusalem. But I've seen people get it wrong the other way too. As long as life is good, they just live it up. But when things get rough, well, that's when they dust off their Bibles and hit their knees. So my first word of encouragement to you this morning is simply this. Be consistent. Be consistent in your devotion to the Lord. What you say to Him in prayer, how His Word speaks to you in your devotions, well, of course, that will vary some depending on your circumstances. But when it comes to prayer and the study of God's Word, be consistent and repent for those many areas of your life in which you might justly be accused of being a fickle follower of Jesus rather than a truly disciplined disciple. As you contemplate our Lord's coming to you, by all means, consider why He did so. Consider your need. Consider your sin. It is not hard to imagine what people might quickly do if Jesus visibly came to visit their homes. Certain magazines might get put away. The Bible might get put out. Cleaning and straightening would be done. And children carefully coached. Now remember, before we just grab for the food, we need to remember to fold our hands and say a prayer. Perhaps serving certain TV shows would get quietly skipped that week. And particular kinds of jokes would not get told. So we would do what we could to put away our sin. And you know what? That's not a bad first move in preparing for our Lord to come to us. The likely result of that, of course, is both some progress in putting away sin and also a certain increase in the pain we feel when a sin finds us out. We're caught. We blew it and the Lord saw it. 
The point of all this is that this is precisely how we ought to prepare for our Lord's threefold coming at Advent. First of all, clean up your life. There are sins that should not live at your house. Put them away. But then second of all, despite your best efforts to put them away, some of those sins are going to show up around your house anyway. Christ comes for the very purpose of bringing you mercy, forgiveness, redemption. So don't try to sweep them under the rug or stuff them in the closet or shove them under the bed. Confess your sins to the Lord. He assumed body and blood long ago so that He could live a perfect bodily life and offer Himself up on the cross as a complete and full payment for all of the sins of the whole world. Of course, that includes yours. He distributes that crucified body and shed blood to us in Holy Communion so that we may eat and drink the forgiveness of sins that His body and blood were crucified and shed to win for us. And as those thus bodied and blooded to the Lord, we look forward to His coming again in glory at which time we who are in Christ will receive not judgment, but eternal freedom from the sin we fought and struggled against in our lives in this world. Like the people of Jerusalem, we cry out, Hosanna! We cry this out in Advent especially. But we chant these words every Sunday before communion. And we're going to chant it in a slightly new way now. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That Hosanna word means, Lord, save now. There's urgency to it. The people of Jerusalem cried it out wrongly, hoping that Jesus would save them now from the Romans. Dear ones in Christ, cry it out rightly. At the beginning of the Gospel, we are told that He was to be named Jesus precisely because He will save His people from their sins. 
those in Jerusalem got this much right, they might have reasoned that Jerusalem would be awfully crowded. Why not take a stroll in the meadow or sit beside a river? Wouldn't it be more rustic, quieter, more peaceful? Not that they had to worry about motorcycles going by outside back then, but none of that either. They could still speak their prayers of Hosanna to the Son of David without the bother of all those people and all those animal noises and all the hubbub. But no, they went to where Jesus would locate Himself. They prepared for His coming by going to the place where He was going to come. Similarly, that's what the wise men did whose visit we will celebrate in about a month and a half. They didn't stay off in the east or the west or wherever it was that they were and decide that they could worship the Savior of the heathen from afar. They went to where Jesus was. And we even see the faithfulness, I'm sorry, the faithlessness of the scholars of Jerusalem in that they knew where Jesus was going to be born, but they couldn't be bothered to go there. Faith goes where God physically locates the salvation He is giving to us. As people went to where Jesus located Himself when He came the first time, so we who are the faithful today go where Jesus locates Himself now. He locates Himself and delivers Himself to us in word and sacrament. It is an utterly unacceptable, lame, faithless excuse if, and I'm not talking about an occasional Sunday here, I'm talking about an ongoing habit. But if one regularly excuses their absence from word and sacrament by saying they can worship God just as well in nature, in such circumstances, you may well achieve a euphoric feeling of wow, isn't God awesome? Or something like that. What you won't do is receive Christ Jesus in His Word and in His body and blood delivering the forgiveness of sins to you personally. 
go where salvation is located. Go where Jesus promises to give Himself to you in a saving way. (laughs) I know it seems obvious, but plain and simple, go to church. And I especially encourage anyone who is watching us this morning, thanks be to God, if you can't make it, you at least have the opportunity to observe the divine service and get that spiritual encouragement from this second best course of action. But such as you are able, come to church. And why would we do anything else? Luther knew. He understood sin. He aptly describes the temptation of our flesh to do otherwise. Nice long quote from Luther. But the rejection of Christ does not happen only with the Jews, but also among us. For the high and mighty scorn us because of our gospel and sacraments. What folly, they say, that I should let myself be baptized with water poured on my head, supposedly to be saved thereby. Or that some poor parish preacher, barely able to put a coat on his back, should pronounce forgiveness and absolve me from my sins. Or that receiving bread and wine in the sacrament, I should be saved. On that basis, they despise a Christ preacher. For it goes with the territory to be despised by reason of Christ's poverty. As a result, when a man becomes a preacher, he is more despised than some lowly knave of no reputation. There is no station in life quite as scorned and humble as that of a preacher. That happens not because of us, or the preacher, but because Christ is despised on all sides in the world. No wonder that the aristocrats and plutocrats say, why should we believe some tramp-like beggarly cleric? Why doesn't our Lord God send us a fine pulpit prince to preach to us? Him we would believe. However, just as Christ's preachers are despised, so people despise His baptism and the sacrament of the altar. Virtually no peasant retains respect for them, let alone burghers and nobles. Under the papacy, people mocked at indulgences and pilgrimages And yet they were highly regarded. Now, however, the prevailing word is, huh, 
if all you can do is preach about Christ and faith, I'm fed up with that already. I've heard it all many times before. End of quote. But as we hold to these things that look so weak, as we go to where our Lord gives Himself to us in words and water and bread and wine, even as we sing Hosanna in the highest in preparation for our Lord's sacramental coming to us, we are prepared also for our hearts to be lifted up to meet the Lord in the air when He comes again in glory. We look forward once again to being gathered together from the four corners of the earth to meet Him where He will locate Himself, where He will proclaim to us His final word of judgment upon us, Well done, good and faithful servant. Come, receive the inheritance prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Advent begins. Cry it out. Hosanna. Lord, save us from our sins. Save us by Your holy incarnation, Your sinless life, and Your sacrificial death. Hosanna, Lord, save us from our sins. Save us by putting Your sin-forgiving words into our ears. Your sin-forgiving water onto our skin. Your sin-forgiving body and blood into our mouths. Hosanna, Lord, Save us from our sins. Save us by Your coming again in glory and delivering us at long last from the burdensome weight of our old sinful natures, making us to be like You as we see You as You are. Hosanna! Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding. Keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.